1: Well, hello there, all you SRB and patrons. Um, whether you're listening or watching it, you know that most of this week's um, episode was going to be um, taken up with the review of Scotland's Autumn Nations match against Fiji, uh, which was unfortunately cancelled due to the um, you know the Fiji squad all catching COVID. Um, so it left us with a pretty big hole to fill, and for a big hole to fill, you need a big man, and we've certainly got one here: um, former Manu Somoa star, film documentary filmmaker Daniel Leo. Um, Hope we'll Will join me in
0: wishing him a warm, a feel my Daniel. How are you? I love it. Yep, um, your sound probably better than mine, so uh, hey, well <laughs> done. I can't respond anything in Scottish though. Your guys' language is uh, another level <laughs> of. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's
1: all very guttural. Um, no, it's uh, one of the, the joys of. I, I was in New Zealand myself a few years ago, and uh, one of my work colleagues was Simone, so she gave me a bit of advice. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're here mainly to talk about your documentary, Oceans Apart, but um, can you just tell us a bit more about um, your journey into rugby and your career? So you were um, born and raised in Auckland, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was was born in in New Zealand in uh, Palmerston North. Um, My father was a first generation salmon to New Zealand. So um, like, like many of the um, uh, current uh, crop of Samoan players, uh, and uh, you know, not just the Samoan players, the New Zealand players with Samoan ancestry, our, our parents came over in a wave of um, uh, migrants uh, for economic reasons, uh, mainly when uh, through the 70s, uh, 60s, 70s and 80s, when New Zealand was going through industrialization. Um, required, uh, you know, um, low-skilled um, laborers to, to, to work in the factories, and um, you know, uh, the Pacific Islands were a cheap, cheap source of labor. So, uh, yeah, Dad came over um, as part of that part of that wave, and um, yeah, I was a, a product of that. Um, started playing rugby. That was, you know, the, the way that uh, you know. Um, not many people knew about Pacific Islanders back then, even even in New Zealand. And um, one way that um, you know it was probably quite old school and sort of the, the approach. Um, you know, they were they were different. They, they looked different. They spoke different. Um, and quite often they were put in a box. Um, one way that you you got res- you earned respect very quickly in, in, in New Zealand in the eighties was uh, on the rugby field. And uh, so that was where my dad sort of earned his stripes, and you know you could be any from any walk of life. And when you got on that field, if you if you you know if you performed and you played, played to, you know um, you know and you embraced the values, you you were accepted, and um, no matter what sort of uh, color uh, or background you were from. And so that was that was rugby, you know, it was very much a working class game in New Zealand, and um, you know, and, and it was something that my dad uh, instilled in me that was very important to him. And um, yeah, I guess I grew up. Um, with that ambition to, you know, um, sort of to, you know, to want to, you know, I, I realised quite from a young young age that that was one way that I could make my dad very proud, um, you know, by, um, by sort of, um, you know, performing on that on that stage. So, um, yeah, started playing, went through um, school in New Zealand. I uh, went to Auckland Grammar, a very famous uh, uh, rugby school, pr- produced the most uh, All Blacks, um, more than any other school in New Zealand, which is, is, is amazing. Um, and then moved to uh, Queensland. They um, yeah, they, um, uh, my parents moved to Queensland uh, uh, in Australia um, in the uh, the end of 1999, um, again for 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 for, for job uh, reasons. And um, and I followed them and uh, went through the academy. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into the Queensland Reds Academy. Here in Australia and uh, I guess the rest is history in terms of my professional career. Um, sort of did three three years in the academy, uh, one year of super rugby and uh, Samoa came to play against the, the Wallabies and uh, Michael Jones, famous uh, All Black Seven, um, uh, was the coach of uh, of, um, of Samoa at the time and gave me gave me the call up um, to come and play for Samoa, which was just you know given my my heritage and uh, um, you know the pride that I that, that I had in, um, you know my dad's uh, culture, even though I've never lived in Samoa myself, um, you know it was uh, it was a, a, a call that I couldn't refuse.
1: So then um, once that uh, when she's made your um, debut for Samoa. Uh, you moved to Europe. Um, spent a lot of time uh, mainly playing in England. Is that right? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. So I couldn't couldn't stay in Australia. I had a great time in Australia, but um, unfortunately, with the eligibility laws, um, uh, they, they, they would only allow players to play for their Super Rugby sides who who, who qualified for the Wallabies. And uh, obviously, it's one of the the issues that we touch on in the. Um, in the documentary, uh, the oceans apart documentary, is this, this 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 question of eligibility, and uh, I guess in my in my situation, it meant that I couldn't couldn't play in Australia where my family were anymore. So I had to to move further abroad if I wanted to continue playing professionally. Um, so I moved. Yeah, thankfully I had a an opportunity to uh, to go to Wasps, which was uh, um, you know at the top of their game at the, at the time back in the early 2000s. And, um, you know, I, I came under the wing of guys like Lawrence Delalio and Joe Worsley and Simon Shaw, who, um, you know, um, I didn't know – I'd never heard of before I, before I arrived at the club um, – but um but who, you know, I you know, um was the best thing for my rugby and for my career at that time. And I'm very thankful for that for that opportunity to uh not just to to win trophies, but also to to make a decent living for the next uh fifteen years that I was in in, in Europe. Not the whole time it was, but I had a little stint in France and then came back and finished my my playing career in uh at London Irish and then uh, London Welsh. Um right at the end there. But um yeah, no fantastic journey and uh lots of um fond memories. Um, but yeah, really, probably, you know, that, that time in you really shaped uh, me um, into the person that I am now.
1: Of course, now that you've, you've hung up the boots, um, you've turned into a documentary filmmaker. So Oceans Apart, um, obviously, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, it's really caught the imagination of the, the rugby-loving public. Um, you know, so what, what was your sort of motivation to make the documentary? Because um, obviously I remember, uh, you know, I know your international career was somewhat cut short and that was your sort of first steps into anti-corruption uh, sort of um, activism, I suppose.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, I guess um, I was I was one of a number of, of players um, in the One team at the time who were, you know, were there, um, you know, We had, you know, a a great rise from the sort of uh, early 2000s to to about 2012, 13, where we actually, um, you know, we'd got to ourselves to seventh in the world rankings. Um, You know, uh, 2010, we beat the Wallabies for the first time ever in Sydney. Um, And then 2012, we went on to beat Wales, uh, Scotland, uh, Italy, uh, you know, some some big. We had some big tier one uh, um, uh, scalps. Um, 2014 arrives. We're, we're about to play England at Suakin, and and a bombshell arrives in the form of, uh, um, you know, we were sus- sus- suspected for a long time that money was being embezzled by our union, but then we we got the uh, the evidence provided by a uh, actually it was a um, a uh, an accountant for the Salmon Rugby Union who had just been sacked. And he believed wrongfully and so he basically um, had the shits and um, and said, look, well, I'm going to expose you and, and, and provide, you know, it was a, it was an internal order that hadn't been released into the world uh, Rugby World Cup um, fundraisers that were done in 2011 where we'd raised millions of pounds and um, and most of it had gone missing and, and we, we now had the evidence. So I guess, yeah, so, so that was my, my, my eyes opened really to the situation when we, were, when we received that report as to the situation. And, and it was just too big an issue really for us to, um, as players to, 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 um, to move on from and just to, to, to lay to one side. We, we, we felt like we had to confront it. Um, a lot of us were at the ends of our careers. You know, I was, I was uh, in my early 30s by that stage um, and i think any any player wants to leave um, a jersey in a better position than when they when they first picked it up and that was definitely the case for me and and my colleagues uh, at the time um, and so we, we decided to make a stand and that stand ultimately resulted in us uh, all getting uh, getting uh, relieved from out from our positions on the site um, but we we knew that at the time we, we knew that you know you, um you know, it's unfortunately the first ones through the glass, uh, the, you know, or over the wall, so to speak are the ones that are, you know, that are probably going to take the bullets and, um, you know, but we, we believe it had to be done for the better and betterment of someone rugby and Pacific Island rugby. So, uh, yeah, so that's sort of triggered the journey to where we are now. And, uh, yeah, um, I guess what, six or seven years later, um, you know, we're just there, we are where we are, um, with uh, the documentary and, um, hopefully, you know, um, Positive can, change can be the result of, of all of us. Um, yeah, we'll see. I guess. Yeah. And um, so, when did you start making the documentary? Um, um I so I've been, I've been the so basically um' <clears throat> after being uh, basically sacked from the Salmon Rugby Union uh, myself and a lot of the. Players that had been through similar situations, not just from Samoa but from Tonga and Fiji, had joined forces to set up uh, Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, the uh, organisation which I'm now CEO of, um, which represents uh, over we've got over 500 members um, under that um, under that umbrella now, um, of professional and semi-professional descent from the Pacific Islands playing in Europe, predominantly. Um, so yeah um, we sat down in 2016 and and, and um, talked about a whole lot of issues uh, with our board um, you know and ultimately we wanted to um, we wanted to address the the root causes of a lot of the symptoms so the symptoms being, a lot of our players arriving in Europe, you know, um, we felt that a lot of them, were, you know, times were being exploited, uh, there were cultural difficulties, uh, we had a very high suicide rate, due to depression and that um, distance away from home and not having the um, the community and the support networks around us as it were necessary. But again, all, all of those were, were symptoms. Of um, what we believed were overarching issues within the system that allowed those things, or, or not, if not allowed, um, you know, made them more likely. Um, so we we needed to address those, and um, for us to address them, we needed to know what they were. So I, I embarked on this journey, I suppose, and we wanted to document it um, three three years ago to, to to really you know to set to to, to to raise the awareness because we knew that if we were ever gonna get anywhere with addressing the issues we needed to the rugby public to know what those uh, issues were so that they could get behind us to, to, you know, to to rectify them, I guess. Um, So that was the start. We didn't know what the, you know, we didn't know at the time it was going to be a documentary or what that was going to look like. We just thought, let's just get the cameras rolling um, and, you know, ask some tough questions um, of ourselves and of, you know, and of others. Um, I think it was important that we were able to look at ourselves introspectively and and look at our cultures as well as some of the, the issues that were holding us back. Um, and that's where we started. And uh, yeah, I guess, um, you know, the fruition of that was the Oceans Apart film, which was released uh, two weeks ago tomorrow and has had a fantastic response by the rugby, by the rugby public. So uh, yeah, big, uh, big journey. Um, yeah, again, we don't know really where, where it ends, um, but we're on it, and uh, yeah, we're we're thankful to everyone that's uh, that's made the film a, a success so far.
1: Yeah. Um, so, when you um, first moved to England, obviously, you know, PRPW didn't exist. Um, I mean, do you have you seen from your work there? Do you have you seen a sort of improvement in standards? Do you think that uh, players are less likely to be exploited now, um, specifically maybe because of the work you're doing? or your organization even.
0: Yeah, well, um, geez, um, you know, the, the the suicide the suicide rates definitely dropped, which was a massive uh causal factor for us getting together in the first place. You know, we had um we had four or five players uh take their lives within a very short space of time which really fast tracked uh PRPW into, into existence. Uh, we just didn't feel like we could wait around. Any longer, and we didn't feel like anyone else had the answers to the issues in our community piece. Apart from ourselves, we knew we had to be central to, um, you know, to 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 the, those to those fixes. I guess, um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, in the, in the UK, uh, the Pacific Island boys have always been uh, generally looked after uh, pretty well. Um, our, our main concern was uh, the treatment of some of the players on the on the continent. Uh, particularly in the lower divisions of France and the emerging uh, competitions like uh, um, Romania, where we spoke to Sione Vaimuga in the film. Um, Spain now is the is is, is the fastest growing um, uh, semi professional competition and 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 um, intake of uh, Pacific Islanders in the world now. So we've got a huge amount of players heading to Spain, um, Germany now, uh, Holland. Um, you know almost almost uh, anywhere that they play rugby we've got guys um, there because you know these these are countries that are trying to build their competitions they're trying to get uh, their teams up to you know to um, since rugby went into the Olympics and the way that you can very quickly you know um, um, increase your performance of your team is by uh, bringing in ready-made players so uh, yeah basically um, since the since the um, induction of rugby into the Olympics we've, we've seen a, a massive boost in um, in the, in the demand on Pacific Island players, not just in the traditional rugby heartlands, but now in the non-traditional as well, where probably the support is even more important, um, you know. So, um, yeah, we, we, yeah so this, there's, there's lots and lots of, of issues that, you know, we've touched on a few of those. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we feel like we're making ground, I guess, as an organisation, um, but we've got, a, we've got a lot of work to do. We're not we're not under any illusions um, you know and, and and the documentary itself was I guess you know aimed at trying to get people alongside us which are uh, um, thankfully you know in the two weeks that it's been released we've seen you know a massive influx of support and people wanting to um, you know to, to, to see the best for for Pacific island players and um, there's a lot of goodwill in the community which um, you know I've, I've received Hundreds, if not thousands, of messages of support—not so just support, saying you know, good luck—but people, um, you know, coming forth and 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 and, um, and uh, offering their services, you know, um, uh, media, uh, marketing people, uh, um, people in the health sector, you know, doctors, uh, people in construction that can offer jobs post post rugby. You name it. Someone's probably support uh, lent their uh, their hand to us uh, through email, and um, if any of those people are watching, sorry, I haven't had a chance to reply. Mm-hmm. It's been a busy uh, two weeks since That's we launched. Um, but I will get around to it. And it's, it's amazing that the, 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 the public, we knew that we know that the, the rugby public is uh, hold the key to, to, to us, uh, to our success, not just as a, an organisation as Pacific Rugby players well, but also the success of the Pacific Islands moving forward in terms of the influence that they have on their own governing bodies, because um, as we we delved into into the in the in the uh, in the documentary, um, you know we need um, we need that assistance to come from you know we need a shift in mentalities um, from the, the uh, not just world rugby but the tier one nations as well. And the key to those to you know to that shift lies in the public and the people that those uh, governing bodies represent yeah <clears throat> excuse me
1: um yeah I mean there is uh, a number of shocking revelations uh, within the film actually I'm um, just there um, I assume most people who are listening to this will watch the documentary and if you haven't watched the documentary uh, it's available on Amazon prime um can you just give us an update on uh because I know at the end of the movie it says you managed to raise um I mean for those you yeah, I haven't seen it this is a really pretty dreadful story um seeni uh, is he is he tongan or is he one
0: Tonga, yeah. Tongan, uh, played for Tonga in the 2011 World Cup.
1: Yeah. And then he was uh, moved to Romania and then um, discovered he had uh, some kidney issues. Uh, and it, basically the club just cast him aside. Um, so at the end of the film, it says you've managed to raise £30,000 uh, to pay for some of the treatment. Um, How is Sione now? Is he back in
0: Tonga or is he still in Romania? It's- yeah, so so so, he, so basically, he's he's still in uh, still in Romania with his family. Um, the um, the average um, ex- um, I guess um, expectancy um, of or, um, of a, a kidney transplant is, is about 11, 11 years on average. Uh, they last about eleven years, and then the chances are you will you need another. Um, so um, we've actually advised Sione to stay in Romania. Um, with his family um, um, uh, while he's being monitored just to see how that process the the worry is that he goes back to Tonga and that he won't ever be able to get back to uh, a country um, that has the facilities to be able to, to 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 operate uh, on him again, if if you know a relapse was was to happen, so we're just weighing up his um, his, his options at the moment. Um, again, uh, since the since the film has come out, we've had a lot of people contact us saying, "Oh, look, can we can we donate to his? We you know we um, to his to his cause." So uh, yeah, he, he's in a tough, still in a tough position, um, but we're hoping that um, you know that we can get some sort of um, basically. Once he's got citizenship in Romania, he, him, him and his family, they'll be able to return um, even after if he go, was to go back to Tonga. But he doesn't have citizenship yet, so we're just um, encouraging him to stay in Tong, uh, in Romania until he qualifies for that citizenship. Hopefully, you know we'll still have money in the in the pot to be able to uh, fund that citizenship um, process. And then, if he does go back to Tonga and, and something goes wrong, he can go back to you know to Romania or anywhere in Europe to you know for treatment. So that's the long-term plan of Sione. Um, yeah, if anyone's watching out there and wants to donate, please do get in touch with us though, because uh, um, yeah, thirty thousand pounds when you've got uh, three three children and uh, you can't work and his wife can't work either uh, doesn't go far. in Europe And it's uh, uh, as, as you'd probably know, <laughs> uh,
1: financial or kidneys uh, are available for donations there, guys. Um, Yeah, it's one of the things like you you talked on there. um, Obviously, you know it's a it's a bit of a multi-headed beast to try and sort this problem. But it's the um, the sort of the cash split from the tier one nations. You know, like it says in the film. I mean, this is unbelievable. Some of the stuff. Um, Who is it you're speaking to? Is it uh, Cooper Vuna? Um, And he said he got paid three hundred pounds for four match series in Britain. so that's, I mean, that's £75 a match. I've made more than that, um, writing on domestic club rugby in Scotland. Um, so, you know, how do you, when in terms of gate receipts, right? Because as it is, the home nation takes all the money. What would you like to see split there? Or what do you think World Rugby should be doing in order to to make it a more equal distribution of wealth?
0: Yeah, for me, I mean, um, you know, the, the, the fact that the the governing body have come back and said they don't have any authority to to impose any um, gate share on, on anybody, again, is, is you know, was um, quite disappointing. Um, you know, you, you mentioned there vuna and the fact that the Tongan players, you know, um, you know, sometimes get paid eighty pounds on average, eighty pounds a game for for a tour, you know, and, and they're playing in front of you know, at times, you know. Wales at the Millennium Stadium, uh, you know, um, you know, forty or 50,000 people there, um, probably paying more, you know, in, 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 in some instances, paying, paying more than £80 a ticket. Um, it just doesn't sit right. Um, you know, last time I looked, um, rugby was a professional game. Um, well, £80 a week because you've got to factor in, you're not just um, there for the one, you're not just arriving for the game. You're there all week building up to this game. So, you, so, so those guys are getting paid £11 a day. Now that doesn't meet the minimum wage, does it? So for World Rugby to turn around and, and wash their hands of the situation, say, oh no, hold on, we can't do anything that's, you know, that um, impedes on the contractual um, agreements that some of these countries uh, have with each other. You know, that's that's just not good enough. You know, it's um, you know, there's there's a, there's a minimum wage for a reason in these countries, and if you're not meeting that, that that's actually um, you know, uh, borderline criminal negligence. So there is actually, you know, a case for us as an organisation to actually go further than making a documentary about it and actually pursuing legal action on behalf of our members. Now, we don't want to do that because, um, you know, we believe in the greater good of the rugby public and the rugby, you know, values. Um, And all we're asking is that, um, you know, those governing bodies actually align themselves with what is not just what is legal, but what is fair. And those two t- terms are very, are very different, and actually, you know, the the from from all the messages that I've received from you know um, since the documentary has been made, you know, the the rugby values are what um, the uh, what the public wants upheld, and you know we can we can we can sniff a, a rat a mile away, you know, um, and um, you know, and that's you know um, my concern is that uh, you know it's taken us to make a you know a documentary and basically shame world rugby and, and the tier one nations into doing, you know, considering the right thing that shouldn't ever be the case, you know, why can't they do it just because it's the right thing to do. Um, so we don't want to go down the legal pathway, but, you know, if, um, if we're going to be pushed into a, into a corner, then, you know, we're going to have no choice. Um, and, you know, um, and it becomes bigger than the sport, you know, we, we, but we don't want to, we, we don't want to have to do that. I guess, you know, it's you know, we, we, as I said, you know, um those governing bodies—they're reflective of the of the desires of the people that they represent, and they have to be. Um, so we, you know, we believe that, um, um, you know, getting the public to put the pressure on their unions, and we encourage um, anyone who's watched the film to, to please uh, write to your to your your home unions. And actually, we're in the process of setting up a uh, an e um, an e email uh, system that will make that process easier where they'll just have to sign it and send off and it'll be um, you know we'll have a five point system um, that will go straight to world rugby and to their um, to their uh, local national union uh, as well um, look out for that that will be in, uh, we'll be releasing that over the next few days uh, but yeah action points I guess is important um, but yeah um, ultimately again it comes to you know um, the rugby values. And, you know, um, world rugby are the first ones to wave those values to the world. And, um, and, and, and you know, it's all emblazoned all over the website, all over, uh, you know, all of the, all of their, um, you know, uh, all, all over the sport, wherever you look, it's, it's, we talk about rugby values. So to see those values not being lived is, uh, is, is, is sad, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's always, you know, hashtag Rugby Values, but, um, you know, it's just lip service. So I was actually going to ask, you know, what um, what do you suggest, you know, the general fan in the street, what can me do? But, you know, certainly if you've got a, uh, you know, if you've got like an online petition, um, we'll gladly share that around. Yeah, that's one thing actually, is when you were talking about, you know, World Rugby's sort of non-committance, um, in the documentary, when you actually sort of get a hold of Brett Gosper, I mean... Obviously, I actually studied film at university, and I know you can edit things to look a certain way. But it just—he's just so non-committal about everything um, all the time. Or he's just sort of like you know, he just sort of shrugs his shoulders. It's like you're—you're you're in charge of the game. Surely you should be leading the way. Um, so that's disappointing. Uh, but um, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, agree. Um, I think as as players and as rugby um, supporters and fans, or wherever you fall into the rugby the rugby family, you always um, my my understanding was always that you know, um, World Rugby or the IRB or whatever they call themselves uh, um, are the overarching um, sort of organisation that that hold everybody to account. You know, um, and, and that's what a, what I've always seen as a governing body's uh, role. Um, through my through my uh, discoveries and and speaking to um, to Brett um, you actually work out that it was actually you know it's actually the governing body sit below the, the the tier one nations and that was that was a real, that was a real shock um, to me uh, making this film and actually him saying that you know we, we, we don't have any power effectively we don't have any power because unless those nations who hold that wield the influence um, you know agreed to something, you know, for eligibility, for instance, you know, um, you, you know, and I asked him directly, Well, what about eligibility? You know, is there a way that the Pacific Island boys who may have been capped for a tier one nation can, can come back, um, if they're no longer, no longer, um, you know, uh, wanted? And his, his, his direct answer to me, um, was, You know, well, that, that wasn't that wasn't something that was seen as favourable to, to the members. Well, if the members are predominantly made up of tier, nation, tier one nations with three votes, and those 10, ten nations outweigh um, the, the wishes of 120 tier two or three countries, then, then you know, you can have 120 nations who, who, who would want that, that rule to be allowed, but because, you know, the 10 don't, it doesn't get passed through, so 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 maybe that was the case, you know. Who knows? And maybe it wasn't, but maybe it was, you know. And that's again um, a, a flaw in the system that has allowed, you know, because it'll never change um, if, if that's the case. And uh, yeah, um, it's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing when you know when um, when the. the, the um, And and it sort of sort of takes the wind out of your sails, really, um, when it comes to you know and you're hopeful for change, when um, when a lot of these uh, you know um, these nations uh, are just so against um, what we see as the development of the of the sport. Because for me, it's it's a no-brainer. You know, you build the game, you have more competition. You know, you have a better, a better product and more people want to watch rugby because, you know, because more than four teams can turn up to a World Cup mm-hmm. and actually have a realistic chance of winning it. Um, and that grows, the you know, the, the interest, the sponsorship, everything. So your small piece of the pie, whatever you've got, you know, or your large piece of it becomes worth even more, um, you know, if you grow that pie. Um, so it is a bit small-minded for me, even for the from the Tier One nations, that um, they can't see that. Um, but um, hey, we, we've got to keep pushing them for accountability. And you know, if we want this game to be the you know the true truly global game that we, I guess, as rugby fans all want it to be, um, we we need to, we need that uh, that protectionist uh, spirit, I guess, to, uh, to to shift.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I'd say with the Tier Ones, I mean, their stance, it's sort of understandable but inexcusable Um, I think it goes against the spirit of competition Um, you know like when the the League of Nations idea was muted um, obviously you know I think Scotland and Wales had vetoed it Um, but one of the big issues with that for me was the fact that the teams that they were going to bring in, Georgia, uh, sorry USA and Japan although they're sort of going look we're giving these tier two nations a shot it's like you're giving the ones with the most money a shot aren't you? Um, Yeah Rather than say, you know, Fiji, Tom and Samoa, who have proven themselves at World Cup to be, you know, um, good good foes, basically. Um, Another thing that's raised is that, you know, no, there's very it's very rare that Tier One nations go and play in the Pacific Islands. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, so I I find it a bit strange. Um, you know, let's say England are going to go and do a three-match series down in Australia or something. Would it not be worthwhile to have a tune-up match and also even just for the good press to pop into Samoa or Fiji or whatever and just you know, play a game there?
0: Yeah, I think, again, it's based on this so-called reciprocal agreement. You know, so Australia come and play a three-test a three series in, in, in Europe. Um, you know that's going to be that's going to be uh, reciprocated when those when those sites come down to you know to to the south. Um, the problem being is again you know you follow the money. Um, there's there's no money to be made in the in the Pacific Islands. Um, we would you know if, 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 if under the current agreement, if we were to host one of those nations uh, as Samoa, we'd have to pay for their um, their travel expenses, their hotels there's minimum hotels that you can't, you can't just put them in a backpacker uh, place where they put, you know, so the Samoan team, we we always stay in two, you know, two-star hotels, Um, but um, you can't put uh, a visiting team in a two-star hotel. You've got to put them in a four or five-star hotel with a certain amount of, you know, uh, screens for analysis and, you know, a room, you know, special air conditioned room for physios and all that sort of stuff. So um, it all becomes very expensive. Um, and the reality is, we just we just can't afford it. You know, we brought our closest neighbours, Tier One neighbours, to Samoa in two thousand and fifteen. <coughs> New Zealand came. We lost the million dollars. That's four hundred thousand pounds, which was you know, um, it's um, so it's just it's just you know to have more Tier One nations visit us in the, under the current agreement would um, would bankrupt us, and that's a, that's the reality so that's that's not the answer um until the until the the, the system changes and that uh, financial um, agreement um changes to the to the point where you know um you know we can earn a bit of a uh, a share from the the from the, the matches that we play in in the north um a la uh fa cup I, I suppose where those smaller teams when they play a chelsea or a man united they get a share you know it's um you know and, and 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 it's a bit of a payday for those small for those smaller clubs as well that's i guess the model that we need to see in the in the pacific um for us to you know to to grow
1: and obviously you know there's there has been sort of issues internally so you know obviously yourself um when you raised the issues about the Samoan and um, corruption uh Fiji um interesting story there, what with Francis Keane and Frank uh, Bayamurama. Um So how would you sort of advocate World Rugby, or is there a way that you see World Rugby being able to prevent people who aren't fit and proper persons, or who don't certainly seem to be fit and proper persons, um, interfering in the uh, domestic rugby unions there?
0: Yeah, uh, uh, again I, I believe um, since making the film, and I've had a while to, to, to reflect on this, um, there needs to be uh, a law like other, most other uh, major sports have got that disallows that, um, people in public office to hold uh, positions of power in, a rugby, in rugby union um, as well. Um, there's just too much of a conflict there. There's always going to be question marks around their, their motives, um, for me, this um, uh, you know there, there needs to be a, a distance between um, politicians and, and the game of rugby, particularly um, in, in the islands where it's um, seen as a way that uh, you know um, to, to, to to win to win votes. You know, you, it's hearts and minds at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you control rugby, you control, you control the hearts and minds of the people, and that's why they're so close. You know, there might not necessarily even be any financial gain to be made, but um, you know, it's, it's the way that um, you know our prime minister. People know Samoa for for rugby. Um, it's it's the it's, it's what's put us on the map, and he wants to be seen as the uh, as as the guy at the top of it. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it, it's it's got to change. Um, for me again it comes back to the governing body um, looking at other sports you know um, I know uh, FIFA for instance um, you know don't allow that you know don't allow politicians to be involved with the, the administration of the game and if they do there's financial penalties you know they they penalize you know they can uh, they can stop them from partaking in, in tournaments Etc. Etc. But for that to happen, there needs to be a way um, also for us to be able to to make uh, to make money and become profitable. And the reason again we look at the film is one of the reasons why our unions are so reliant on on the politicians is that we just don't have the um, you know we don't have enough games to be able to get uh, proper sponsorship. Uh, When we do get fixtures against uh england or wales or scotland for instance usually we know about three months in advance well sponsorship you know a run and talk to getting decent sponsorship is you know probably t- we would need, need to know two years in advance um so there's a, a lot of issues there um and then um you know the, the fact that there's you know there's um yeah I'm, Put it, to, to put it frankly, that, you know that, that we can't. You know, um, and, and one of the, the CEOs of Samoa Rugby said it to me. Um, you know, without politics, there's, there's no, there's no rugby. There's no rugby in the Pacific um, without, the, without the politicians uh, funding it, and that needs to change um, equally as much as you know getting rid of, of the politicians. In my mind, it's got to be. It's got to be two pronged. Um, because, you know, uh, as long as we're reliant on government funding and public funding for for our unions, uh, in the absence of a fair uh, financial share um, elsewhere, um, the the politicians are always going to expect to be involved.
1: Um, Great, if you don't mind, I've got a, um, as well as, you know, the Scottish Rugby blog, I'm also a... So I've, I've been promoted to co-chief admin on the Scottish Rugby Forum. Um, I've got a question from one of the guests there, and it's regarding eligibility. Um, now, I think I know how you're going to answer this, but I'll, I'll let you answer it yourself. Um, he, this gentleman, uh, Peter KH, is his name here. I don't know what the KH stands for. Um, he, he's, he disapproves of the homecoming rule because um, he thinks that, uh, three points here, he believes that it advantages some tier two nations other than others. Um, so like Samoa, Fiji and Tonga would benefit more than Georgia, USA and Uruguay. Um, but then, I mean, this, this, I think this is one that will really pique your interest is that he says that no Pacific Island player have been exploited by the absence of this rule um, and that they've chosen to play for, say, Australia or New Zealand or whatever their adopted nation is. Um, what would you say in response to particularly that second point?
0: Um, well, firstly, I don't know how many uh, Uruguayans have been uh, have been um, poached, uh, you know, and taken over to play, uh, you know, to have, have cracked in a Tier One nation. Um, have, have any? I don't know. <laughs> to answer a question with a question: Have any Uruguayan players ever played for a Tier One nation in, uh, yet? Um, I don't think so. I think know, the, sort of uh,
1: probably the most sort of obscure one I can think of would be Tim Visser playing for Scotland because, you know, Holland's not much of a rugby country.
0: Yeah, 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 so I think Tim Visser should be able to go back and play for Holland, you know, at the end of his, of his career. You know, um, Holland's a developing nation. You know, Someone like that will be massive profile to that sport, as long as it's going from a tier one down to a tier two, and for the development of those uh, countries. I don't see what the issue is. It would reflect, um, you know, global migration. Uh, very few people see themselves as one thing anymore, and you know the decisions that we um, encounter, you know, as Pacific Islanders are made in a totally different position at the start of your career when you're poor um and your you know and your sole objective in life is to try and make a better life for you and your family that's often when that decision to, to play for a, you know for a tier one nation is made while you're young um later on in your career you're you're more um you know you're more stable in terms of your finances and you know and that's really when you you know the decision of your heart comes into into play so you know um so I think a lot of a lot of those guys you know do we want people playing for the money at the end of the day just for the money or do we does, is there is, is loyalty uh, taken into consideration in, in our sport um, you know and, and pride in the, in the jersey and your homeland? I think it's got to be probably both you know so so the eligibility laws need to reflect um both of those uh, those situations. Um, I think I think um, going down from a, a Tier 1, my, a sensible thing for me would be going down from a Tier 1 to a Tier 2 and, and, and one change only. Um, yeah, it probably um, would benefit Samoa and Tonga uh, more than Georgia and uh, Uruguay but um, my, you know, to, to take a, you know, a page out of Brett Gosper's book, you know, that if you look at historically the, the contribution of countries to, to the game, I'd, I'd like to argue that Tonga and Samoa have, have, have contributed in, in a historic context uh, a heck of a lot more than those two countries that uh, I just mentioned. Maybe that'll change at, one, at some stage and, uh, you know, Uruguay will start providing, you know, realise, you know, um, Feeling this drain of players, and they, they might start providing, you know, um, up to a quarter of the world's professional players like like we do, and that they may change. And 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 a, and, a, and a rule like this that we're talking about would actually benefit them more. But um, I don't think you can um, you can say, look, we're we're going to we're going to block a rule because um, you know because it, it, um, it doesn't affect everybody um, equally um, until those countries are, uh, are given a chance to to be in our position. And you know, you look at those countries like Georgia. You know, the Georgia, the population of rugby's, uh, of rugby players in Georgia is almost as as high as the population of Tonga. So there are massive, massive core qualities. Again, it's not you can't um, you know it's um, oranges and apples to, to make comparisons. Uh, I guess in, in some contexts we've got to you know we've got to be you know we need the the laws to be. Um, a bit more encompassing than uh, what they, what they currently are and at the moment you know it's, it's very easy for, to, to try and have a blanket rule and say look this is you know the this, you know the, this is the one rule for everybody and, and we stick by it but um, how conducive is that to the growth of the game you know um, um, you know that's for me has got to be one of the the, uh, the key points in any of the, these decisions that are being made in the laws. As um, you know, is, is moving forward uh, progressively. So yeah, um, yeah, but that's a tough one. I, I don't have all the answers. I'd, I'd like to see when it comes to eligibility. For me, I think um, a two-year, you know, maybe a one-year stand-down period for anybody who's had less than five caps uh, for a, for a tier one nation would be sensible. And then uh, maybe you know another six months for every five caps above that. So if uh, Charles Piutau, for for example, he's got 15 caps for 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 the All Blacks, he'd have to observe a two year uh, stand down period before he could play for for Tonga if that's what he wanted to. He'd only be able to make one shift from you know down to from Tier One to Tier Two, and he would never be able to change uh, allegiances uh, again. I think um, you know. Uh, that's that's that, for me. That's sensible. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree. You know, for, for, for what's sensible to, to me isn't necessarily what's sensible to everyone. But we need to have these discussions. You know, we need to be able. You know, it can't be just locked in and what what you know um, never revisit these situations. I think. Bill Beaumont has promised a revisit to the this homecoming law. And let's hope that the right people are in that room uh, when it comes to having these conversations so that the right outcomes can be made for for everybody and not just for the what's right for the you know for the Tier One nations.
1: And with regards to um, the residency rule, um, now that it's been increased to five years, are you slightly worried that this could mean more players are getting poached from the islands at a younger age. Because I've seen, you know, I mean, uh, Edinburgh has recently signed a 17-year-old South African boy um, and Glasgow gone down the same route. Does that worry you at all that perhaps, you know, the French teams, English teams, Scottish teams, whatever, they'll maybe come to the islands. You know, we know that they've got scouting networks all over the place now. You know, does, that, does that concern you at all?
0: Yeah, it does. It does. And this is why it's important that um, before these sorts of uh, conclusions... Uh, jumped, uh, jumped upon, and uh, and just announced that they need to have the right people in the room to actually look at the the wider impacts of some of these laws that they're that they're making, and, and and I don't think that's been the case um, in, in the sport um, since it went professional. I think a lot of decisions have been made um, that haven't looked at the wider the wider impacts of of, of this, particularly for us as the Pacific Islands, because um, you know. So, yeah, we are already seeing the, um, the ramifications of that five-year uh, residency rule um, and the fact that the average age of, um, of children that are being offered um, um, scholarships in, in the Pacific is getting substantially lower every every year. And so, um, you know, not just in New Zealand, Australia, but further, further afield now. And um, and for me, that's a, an adverse effect of some of, of these laws that are passed through without having the right people around the table to actually work out the, you know, um, you know, the, the true effects of, of, of such laws, because it's very easy to say, Oh, you know, five years, we'll just change it from three years to five years, and that'll solve the problem. But actually, it just opens up this other, you know, a big, a bigger can of worms to the point where, you know, we've got now 11 and 12 year old kids leaving our shores, you know, and being pushed by their parents because of the lack of opportunities in the islands, um, you know, to, to you know, to, to go and take up, um, you know, professional rugby opportunities. And again, you know, it's, it's so young, you know, to be away from your family um, and your, and your, and, and your support networks um, in a totally different country. It's, um, you know, these, these, these are why, these are, the, these are why we, one of the, the, you know, some of the key reasons why we felt like we needed to make the documentary to actually provide a counterbalance to some of the decisions and that decision-making process that is currently occurring Um, you know my my faith um in in the system and the fact that you know and the people around those decision-making tables is is quite low at the moment Um, you know um and you know there's 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 a lot of fixes that need to happen you know if you to, to do that you know it comes again with Putting support networks in place for you know, we dealing with the lowering of age for, for kids coming through. So none of that's been taken into consideration with that five-year um, residency um, uh, law change. And the ones that pick up the pieces are you know, are us. As Pacific rugby players, well, because we're on the ground dealing with, this on a global on a, on a global context, but we don't get any funding from World Rugby, who are making these laws, you know, um, um, you know, and it's and it's very very difficult. We end up having to do these public appeals and raising money for, you know, um, via Just Giving, and uh, um, to, you know to try and support people, you know, that find themselves in incredibly difficult positions. Um, you know we need to get around that table we need to get around that table uh, promptly um, to have an effect on those again those um, those root causes of these of, of these these wider symptoms Great and um, sort of I mean I've kept you on here
1: for quite some time um, so I'll kind of set, set towards wrapping up um, I see that uh, they've picked the Manua, uh, Manu Manu sorry Manoa Pacifica squad for the game against the Maori All Blacks and there's been talk about uh, a possible super rugby franchise um, for Pacifica players, although I mean, when they've talked about it, they've sort of based it in, in Sydney or Auckland. I mean, what, what do you think about that idea? Do you think that's a, a worthwhile idea? Do you think it would be, would it make money for the Pacific Island nations? You know, would it filter down or do you think it's maybe just, again, lip service and also an avenue for exploitation? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think you know at the risk of sounding a bit of a Debbie Downer here. Um, the 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 concept is a good one. You know, we've for a long time we've lacked a, a professional pathway closer to home uh, for our players to you know, and, and particularly in Super Rugby, uh, it's an avenue. You know, again, not just for exposure for our players, but also to provide a you know that pathway for them to um, to represent hopefully their their island nations. Um, uh, I haven't got the confidences that I need uh, yet from from the the, the organisers and that necessarily the case with Moana Pacifica. Um, the proximity of the New Zealand Rugby Players Association and actually tabling that bid uh, for super rugby um, has me worried, to be quite honest. Um, you know, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association is a... Uh, is, is, a, is a, an organisation whose mandate it is to uh, better and uh, you know, well, to look after and 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 progress New Zealand professional players. Um, so I don't know, um, yeah, I, I don't re- really know what they are doing, chairing uh, um, and tabling a uh, a team, a Super Rugby team, which is supposedly uh, for the benefit of the Pacific Islands. Um, you know, I've got questions whether you know they'll they play the New Zealand Maori uh, this weekend. Um, is it a fact? Is it, a, is, it is it that the, all the players that will play in that that, in that team against the Mary on the weekend will now be locked in? You know, qualified uh, solely for the Pacific Islands uh, teams. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'll try and find out those answers. Um, but again, for me, um, you know. Um, there needs to be, you know, these teams, you know, the, the, all the players are New Zealand based players. Uh, the, the management squads are all uh, New Zealand uh, based. For me, any, any team that's going to brand themselves as a Pacific, uh, Pacific team um, has got to be for the greater good of the Pacific Island Union. So I've got to be based long term in the islands. To inspire our people for the economic, um, you know, uh, resources that that seem to, um, you know, the benefits got to be for the Pacific Islands in terms to of tourism. Um, and and it's got to be for the greater development of the of our local unions. You know, players that are coming through, there must be uh, eligible and qualify for the Pacific Islands. Um, you know, first and foremost. So once I get those assurances, um, you know, then then I probably be able to answer that question. But uh, yeah, it's just um, it's, it's 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 a bit uh, uh, clouded at the moment just because we haven't we don't know enough about it. And, um, you know, they're asking us to commit as the Pacific Islands to this team for the next you know 10, 10, 15 years. Um, for me, we need to know a bit more because I might be a little bit cynical, um, you know. But um, but um, you know, if you look at again long term, um, you know, and in history, uh, even our closest neighbours, New Zealand, haven't always done the best thing by the Pacific Islands in terms of helping us develop. So um, you know, um, we need to ask these tough questions, and if not us, then uh, who else, I suppose. Okay,
1: um, that's great, Dan. I think uh, I've taken up enough of your time. Um, so, uh, five feet high lava, Mr. Leo. And, uh, yep, um, all yeah,
0: the best. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Thanks so much. No, 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 no. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, I just want to thank um, everyone you know on, on, on this uh, platform who's supported the oceans part film and uh, got behind us. Send me messages on Twitter, and uh, you know, and and, and um, you know, and also the Scottish uh, public. You know, we've got a strong uh, connection as Samoa with uh, with Scotland, and I tried to drop uh, a few little hints in there. You know, how thankful we are to Scott. You know, to you know, to, you know, to Scotland rugby as well. You know, we're not quite where we need to be in terms of the Tier 1, but in terms of all of those Tier 1 nations, I think Scotland can happily, uh, you know, be proud on the fact that they've done a lot, you know, probably the most out of all of the Tier 1 nations to support uh, us as Pacific Islands. You know, I had some uh, fond uh, games against uh, Scottish, uh, the Sc- Scots, not just in Murrayfield, but also in Samoa. Which I can't say about uh, anyone else uh, mm. from the Tier One Nations. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be back on here one day uh, oh. celebrating some good, some good news.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can come on anytime. All right, time at all. Um, thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Dan. All right, cheers. Appreciate it, eh? Yeah. Cheers, Bye. guys.